Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on June the 1st, 2011. I always suggest at the beginning of the broadcast that new listeners should go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the, uh, there's well over a thousand audios for download and I hopefully you'll, you'll get the shortcuts to understanding this system which runs the world with many different levels below it, of course. We, we, we see the lower, the lower levels once we're authorized to come out and give us their views on things and so on. But at the very top, it's a vastly different story because you truly have incredible wealthy people who are intergenerational, of course, who help plan the future in centuries, in fact, and where they want it to be in the 21st century we're going through now. They already planned that long before the last century. And I'm sure the next century, too, is all planned out with lovely little utopias and a tiny population, very high tech and all the rest of it. That's really how it's, it's laid out. And we just go through the motions as all the, the changes affect us. And we're, we're told how to uh, uh, accept these changes by the media and by low-level professors and so on. And professorships really, uh, they are on a low-level basis because much higher above them are the guys in the know who work in the top think tanks that work directly with those who are basically like the guardians, they call themselves sometimes, sometimes they call themselves Olympians, nice little names to elevate themselves above the rest. So, as I say, go into the website, help yourself to the audios. Uh, all those sites listed have transcripts as well in English, and you can also go into Alan Watts Sentinel for transcripts in other languages. And remember, two years are going to bring me to you, so if you want me to continue, please buy the books and discs I have for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can use an international postal money order or a personal check. You can send cash, and you can also use PayPal to order. You'll use the donation button on the, on the com site, cuttingtrimmedies.com, and follow it up with an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Across the rest of this world, you've got Western Union at the top, MoneyGram, and then you've got PayPal again to order uh, using the donation button. And member straight donations are very, very welcome because we're all experiencing the big changes, the planned changes, the austerity measures, the planned austerity that came out with the planned bank crashes at the right time to kick it all off. And uh, everything's going through the roof, as I'm sure you all well know. In fact, within four years, I'll be paying double the price for electricity where I am. They're, they're putting it up so many percent every year now. And they've told us that that's, that's their aim so far, is to at least double uh, the cost of electricity. That's just electricity. The food's already gone up about 50 60% in the last three years. So I'm sure you're all experiencing the same hardships all over uh, the world. Because it's a planned system. Remember, we're all global now. We've got to suffer globally, except for those who bring in globalism in. They get uh, freebies and great food. And the best of everything, even high-tech and very advanced medical care, which you'll never even hear of, of course. 
But uh, that is the real world we're living in. And plan long ago, as I say, you'll find lots of information at the beginning of the 20th century from some of the front spokespeople for the particular groups that were organized to help bring in the world, including world wars, by the way. They said they would need world wars to bring in a global society and get everyone to give up their sovereignty. H.G. Wells, after World War I, and, and who was all for World War I, thinking they would get the League of Nations as a world government out of it, right after World War I, he says, well, we haven't killed enough off, and the public haven't uh, gone on their knees yet, so we'll need another, a second world war. And, well, they worked hard to get what they wanted since the West financed Hitler. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and the other day I talked about the fluoridation acts that are going on in the UK basically, it's all over the world of course, but they're really pushing for more cities to get more fluoridation for the ones who already have it, I believe, and that some places who are exempt from it have to get it anyway. It also went through the court system, and the judge ruled that under democracy, basically these townships don't have to obey the citizens' wishes. And that is true. I've heard that in Canada too. In Sudbury, in fact, when a bunch of councillors got into the local government in Sudbury, they turned tail on all their promises and what they're going to do, and they tried to recall them. That was no use. And so one or two citizens took it to a higher court and the judge ruled that democracy, once you vote people in, uh, they have no responsibility, but responsibility basically to the people who voted them in. They can do as they wish. Your only job in democracy is to vote faces in and that's it. That's the fact. There's a definition of democracy right there. And talking about that too, there's an excellent site. It's called the NPWA. Natural Pure Water Association, and they, they've been campaigning for a long time for against fluoridation and to get purer water. And it says the UK government plans to amend the current fluoridation legislation in the Health and Social Care Bill currently passing through Parliament. Our new document, Stop Fluoride Medication via Drinking Water, makes the case for the repeal to the UK's fluoridation legislation. We hope that all our members and supporters will take this opportunity and close it with a personal letter addressed to their own members of Parliament and the House of Commons, London. It gives address to, you can find out the name of your MP, etc., etc. And it's interesting that the site where the, where the politicians are, it's says www.theyworkforyou.com and that's kind of wishful thinking. Anyway, it says read your new documents here. And it's got a lot of information on this as to what's really happening, and uh, uh, some very good articles too, spin off from it, from the links on it as well. Uh, what's happened? Uh, the part here mentions about uh, it says State University of New York researchers found more premature births in fluoridated than non-fluoridated upstate New York communities, according to a presentation made at the American Public Health Association's annual meeting on November 9th, 2009, in Philadelphia. And it goes on with different, uh, very interesting information on the uh, the BS, basically, 
of fluoridation. We all know it really dumbs down the brain, and that's what the, one of the first things they found out about it. Makes people rather compliant if you want to do nasty things to them and lord over them. And um, I'll put this link up. Remember, all these links of the articles I read will be on cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the broadcast. Last night was amazing because right after the broadcast, I was writing a poem in the first 10 minutes and um, the lights all went out. One thunderclap and the whole grid system goes down these days because it's privatized now. It used to be Ontario Hydro and now it's, it's, it's Power One or something they call it. So they're putting cheap junk in, of course, and all the tripping lines. Uh, for cost cutting and higher profits, and of course laying on, uh, laying off more manpower. So it's quite the, quite the thing. At one time you could take hurricane winds here, nothing happened, but one pop overhead and down goes the whole grid. So they upload and by alternate means. Now there's a caller hanging on the line from the Netherlands. We'll see if Wesley's there. Are you there, Wesley? Hi. Yes. Hi, Elwood. Not too bad. Yeah. First of all, we really want to appreciate for uh, all your work you have done, and we listen uh, each evening to your uh, amazing show. Mm-hmm. I just uh, just want to say, uh, it's truly really amazing to see, uh, especially in Holland, how uh, people in Holland uh, are very sleepy. <laughs> Most of people are complaining, complaining, and uh, they do nothing, of course. Yes. And they are uh, a lot of loyal uh, for our. Uh, uh, I say that in English, uh, royal family. Yeah. Especially Dutch royal family. Yeah. Now, uh, they they uh, control our uh, our system, of course, and still are in power. Yes. Especially they teach us, of course, that they are not in power. Especially to our education, that uh, our royal family has stepped back. And uh, but if you see uh, their positions uh, within the royal family, they have uh, uh, positions in the. And the European Commission, so. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's also amazing to see how this European Union is uh, affecting uh, uh, our country and uh, and how the people here are not very good educated uh, by this system. Mm-hmm. I hear, too, they're, they're rather passive there. They're very passive uh, and very obedient to the government, too. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, they've always been rather obedient uh, uh, citizens. Yeah. Yes, they are. Especially that uh, social system, of course, that we have here in Holland. We have to give a lot, and they, they take uh, a lot from us, uh, from the people, of course. Yes. Especially well, that, that's true. You see, nothing, everything that God gives, God takes away in government, of course, to think is God. And uh, they, there's no such thing as a free right through the system. So whenever they give you something, you're going to pay, pay dearly in the future for it. Uh, and uh, they certainly do make you pay dearly in the system. And the cost of living up over there, too, is, is quite uh, quite something else, too, isn't it? It's very high. Yes, it is. Yep. But I never paid my taxes, so... <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, they'll be after you eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they will, but we will see. Mm-hmm. They just keep moving around. That's all you can do. But mind you, that everybody's ID'd now as well, you know. And, and I think in Holland you also have to carry an ID card to get on the buses and so on, don't you? Yes, we have, but then I, I don't have one. I don't have a passport at the moment. Don't have a driver's license. Mm-hmm. I'm not written in the, how do you call it, city hall? Yeah. 
Well, that's the only way um, you... Yeah, they have, they've got new laws uh, for them. They call it uh, the ghost uh, uh, citizens. Uh-huh. We have a lot of ghost citizens now, and they're going to harm those the ghost citizens because they're losing a lot of money from them. Oh, that's what they're always saying. Yes, right. That the people who won't opt in are costing us all money, and all you taxpayers have to pay extra. That's the that's what they're crying on about. Yeah. If they can just get all these ghost citizens in, we can get all their cash from them too to help the economy, etc., etc., and taxation, yeah. They've actually said too that in this coming world order, you see, you'll have a, a few rights, but, but you'll, you, the one right you will never have is the right to vanish. That's what they've said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to be monitored everywhere you go, and, and, uh, and now even with the facial recognition cameras, which instantly identify a person, which if, if, even if you're moving around Europe, uh, you don't even have to show any ID because these things already are punching up who you are as soon as you get off a train. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But uh, the border patrol here, and uh, I live next to the border to, border to Germany, and they're still uh, controlling the, the trains if you, if you cross the border from Holland to, to Germany. Yeah, that's right. Do you also have to show that ID card when you get a taxi? I don't know. Don't uh, take a taxi. You don't take the taxi. See, someone told me that from from Holland that that uh, they have to show it even to get a taxi drive. That has to be produced. Yeah. Not where I live. I think in more than Amsterdam or more in Rotterdam, the big cities. Yes. If more down south in, in the hills or mm-hmm. near Maastricht. So. And Denmark took it a, stre- a step further because they incorporated basically that the, your money allowance from the government and also your bank account into the ID card. Uh, so they've taken it a step further uh, than everyone else. And, of course, that was what they always said that they would do back in the 90s when they would introduce this card worldwide, that they'd link it with your bank account and your or your, your if you're a mother, you get your Social Security from it too. And that's the big stick that they're going. You, you can't get your social security unless you take this particular ID card and use it all the time. And they deduct it from your ID card. All, all they're using it as cashless society. So they deduct it all from your, your your ID card, which is the carrier is charged every month by the government. So it's all integrated there. So they're even ahead ahead of you, but they want that to come to you as well. Yep. Well, stay a ghost, you know. It's better to be a ghost than, than, than uh, someone who thinks they're a real person. Uh, at least you get more scope to, to think and move around between the shadows. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. But, uh, uh, thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Yep. And Bye. take care. Yep. Bye now. And it's, it's interesting, too, to notice that uh, in, in the Brave New World that Huxley talked about, because he knew this whole scenario was coming, Back in the 1930s, because he'd, he'd attended top think tanks for special people with right uh, genealogies. And he called the, the ones outside the primitives. They'd be the primitives that were running outside and would be laughed at by the high-tech people with all the, the Bluetooths and everything else that they're using, I guess, today. And so there would be a kind of ghost people for a while, but they were to die off outside these very high, the very few high-tech cities that would be across the world. In other words, the barbarian type would die off, those who would not join the system and wouldn't give in to it. So 
that that's already happening. As I say, people are trying to evade the system and become ghosts, as they call them. In Canada, it's all about the underground economy. Apparently, all these ghosts have got underground work, and they're just not paying their fair share of taxes to be paid across the entire planet to international corporations to help the poor third world countries. This is the excuse they're giving for it here. But that's the world we live in. It's all nonsense, and we know there's a big, big agenda. Regardless of many professionals come out with their flowchart dialogues and try to convince you to the otherwise. And I've mentioned before about uh, the greening agenda. The greening agenda was discussed a long, long time ago. The, the, the Club of Rome was given the task, remember, of deciding what, how they could convince the public to give up all their rights and, and be dominated by a global system give up all sovereignty. I'll touch on that when I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Just to go over some of the stuff to do with the green projects, which of course is the big stick to make you go into austerity, uh, don't eat meat, uh, all the things that they've got planned for you to to save heat and electricity by all you know crowding into one room type of thing, preferably in an overcrowded city, because that is the plan in an under Agenda 21 in sustainability at the United Nations. There's some quotes here, and I've read them before, but it's worthwhile reading some of them again. It's just a common. It's just, um, this is from the Club of Rome. Because they, had, they were given the task, remember, of finding a big con that they could push o- and go overboard with, with lots of propaganda and lots of funding, to convince the public to give up all the rights. And it says, the common enemy of humanity is man. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. All these dangers are caused by human intervention, and it's only through changed attitudes and behavior that they can be overcome. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. In searching, remember, they said, for a new enemy to unite us, globalism, and giving up all your rights. So they they picked it. They they, they designed it all for you. And with the help of the media that uh, were told to go along with it, ad nauseum, of course, uh, and they put these greening r- reporters on every newspaper. Uh, easy job, these little greenies that don't have to really do much at all, except give handouts from the UN and tell you how terrible it's going to get if we don't give up our rights. Then they get what they want. So he's a club of Rome who came up with the idea. They, that's their job, really, as a premier think tank for the United Nations, is to come up with new tasks to find ways to get the public to give up everything and be basically ordered around by experts. And another one here is we need to get some broad-based support to capture the public's imagination, so we have to offer up scary scenarios, make make simplified, dramatic statements, and make little mention of any doubts. It's always sound if they're dead on with it. Oh, it's fact, it's fact. Each of us has to decide what the right balance is between being effective and being honest. Professor Stephen Schneider, Stanford Professor of Climatology, lead author of many IPCC reports. These guys all make their lives long living on this nonsense. We've got to ride this global warming issue. Even if the theory of global warming is wrong, we will be doing the right thing in terms of economic and environmental policy. Timothy Worth, president of the UN Foundation. 
And no matter what, if this, the science of global warming is all phony, doesn't matter if it's phony, climate change provides the greatest opportunity to bring about justice and equality in the world. That was Christine Stewart, the politician for Canada, who was made to be Minister of the Environment. So she's admitting, doesn't matter if it's all phony, it's a good enough excuse to get what we want done. And here's a good one here. The data doesn't matter. Data's the facts, right? The data doesn't matter. We're not basing our recommendations on the data, the facts. We're basing them on climate models. They're computer models. Professor Chris Folland, Hadley Center for Climate Prediction and Research. And then it says the models are convenient fictions, these computer programs. The models are convenient fictions that provide something very useful. Dr. David Frame, climate modeler at Oxford University. I believe it's appropriate to have an over-representation of the facts on how dangerous it is as a predicate for opening up the audience. That was Al Gore, climate change activist and also recipient of carbon taxes for the world, a lot of it going through his particular organization. And, of course, they pocket a lot of money. This is the guy even exposed how much money it costs just to heat his homes, you know, plural, and uh, even, even the guest one. Uh, that's hardly ever used, and it's more than about 50 families would, would uh, spend in a, a winter in Canada. And then it doesn't matter what is true, it only matters what people believe is true. Paul Watson, co-founder of Greenpeace. The only way to get our society to truly change is to frighten people with the possibility of a catastrophe, Emeritus Professor Daniel Bodkin. The climate crisis is not a political issue. It's a moral and spiritual challenge to all of humanity. It's also our greatest opportunity to lift global consciousness to a higher level. And his pocketbook, of course, that was Al Gore again, the guy who came up with the carbon taxes and the carbon banks. And then we're on the verge of a global transformation. All we need is a right major crisis. That was David Rockefeller, Club of Rome executive member. And then more on Al Gore, oh, humanity's sitting in a time bomb. Remember the scary scenarios, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They got NASA in on the act, that crazy guy, Hansen, uh, that, that, uh, he should be as a terrorist as he storms with his radicals, uh, different, uh, power stations and so on, try to tear down the fences. And it, it just goes on and on and on with, with all the quotes from guys at the top. I'll put this up at cutting through the matrix.com. At the end of the night, it's, it's very, very long with all the different... Uh, he's had an interesting part I've mentioned many times on it, though. It's got the, about the Club of Rome again, because he talked about a post-democratic society. We're now under an authoritarian society. But this one here is a precursor to the, the, the latter statement I made. Democracy is not a panacea. It cannot organize everything, and it's unaware of its own limits. These facts must be faced squarely. Sacrilegious though this may sound, democracy is no longer well suited for the tasks ahead. The complexity and the technical nature of many of today's problems do not always allow uh, elected representatives to make competent decisions at the right time. So they've already said later on that the the democracy would have to go. It was obsolescent. And that, that is from the first global revolution, one of the books they put out. And um, they talk about, Michael Gorbachev says it will definitely lead to world government, all of this environmentalism. That's the goal, world government. So you can read it all for yourselves back after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix and we'll go back to the phones and there's a mic from Wyoming there. Are you there, Mike? Yes, I am, Alan. Yep. Uh, I've been rereading your books and I want to make sure I've, I've got kind of your, cent- your central ideas down. Uh, some of the people we would identify as leaders of the world order movement uh, uh, probably uh, come out of the Armenia Caucasus uh, part of the world. And yet your books seem to suggest that uh, that this whole plan, this, this self-anointed priesthood, uh, originated probably in, in Mesopotamia, Sumeria. Uh, have they have they grafted in uh, what we would call Ashkenazi Jews as kind of a, a front uh, and distraction to who they really are? Or how how do you read that? Well, well really. Numbers count, of course. You always graft in peoples because numbers count, uh, especially if it's a system. We're talking about a system. And you need lots of people to come into the system and believe in it and who prosper in the system too. And those who prosper in a system will defend that system even when they're changing into the next order of it. They will defend it uh, to the death, actually, especially other people's deaths, uh, in order to preserve it. So... You're looking at the ancient... See, when money came into existence, and it's a very old concept, money's so old, we don't even know how old it is. We do know that coinage came in about 800 B.C. And before that, it was it was gold. Uh, generally, silver actually was the earliest one that they used and the Phoenicians used. And later on, it became gold. That became more valuable. Uh, and we know, too, that whole uh, nations were turned into slaves and deported to be slaves to dig for gold all over the ancient world, including parts of Russia, by these same peoples. And um, along with money comes the ability to to lend to nations. You must get the nation first to accept money, and that's the key to it. Some nations didn't need money. Some so-called primitive tribes today still don't need money, and they don't want it. They're quite happy the way they are. Uh, so it gives power to, to a few. It centralizes power. And once you get a country accepting uh, commerce, and that's goods generally from abroad, uh, then with embargoes or, or restrictions, then today, for instance, spare parts even, uh, you, you simply can't make the things that you need. You're, inter, you're interdependent. It creates a form of interdependency. And you're, you're, you're talking about the way they operate, uh, mm-hmm. which fair enough. But uh, what I'm talking about is, is uh, aren't these people kind of obsessed with uh, with genetics and oh, yeah, uh, and family yeah. lines? Yeah, uh, how yeah. do they decide who who is us and and who is other? Uh, us definitely depends on your family lineage, and uh, you find most of the, the well-known names are part of the family lineage. Um, some, again, how important you are depends on how pure you are with your, with your breeding programs. I mean, from the most ancient times when they, they read off, you know, um, who begets who and, and son or daughter of so-and-so marries son and daughter of so-and-so, uh, they had to have a, a, a perfect genealogy. And then there's the ones who come into it are kind of grafted. Who, who are they looking to breed with? I mean, who, who's... To, to them is a, is a suitable choice to... The, the leaders of... Re, 
rehabilitate the the family line. And the, the leaders of every nation, basically, the, the leaders of every nation have been bred into across the whole planet. So anyone in, in a position of power is presumed to to yeah. uh, have gotten there for a reason. And that's right. People have already uh, excelled in, in in the economy by becoming a king, slaughtering other people, or just very successful at, at, at raping countries with armies and looting them and becoming kings and queens are, are the perfect targets because they themselves uh, do the same thing. They marry, uh, a king will marry the daughter of another king and that other king was just as much of a murderer and a plunderer as the present one. So you're basically getting a psychopathic personality uh, interbreeding with another psychopathic personality and pretty well guaranteeing another psychopath coming out of it. So this is the, this is the key to a lot of this, uh, the problem of, of today, in fact. Okay. Let me, if, if you don't mind, uh, if we could head in a different direction, what are your, what are your thoughts on the Piso family of Italy, the, the historicity of, of the Jesus of the Bible? Was, was he a real man? If so, uh, was he a, a secret, uh, secret society adept? Well, uh, the Pico family were only one of the families that, that uh, lent to the, the ancient Rome, in fact, and, and, and later as well. You've got to remember that all these empires, again, based their systems on money, and they borrowed just like today from um, bankers, international bankers. Uh, Aristotle himself married the daughter of a Middle Eastern banker who funded armies for other countries. Uh, very successfully, three thousand uh, over what, one thousand four hundred years ago or so. So, it's very very common. As far as the story, the historicity, well, how how accurate Jesus was as a person, there's no doubt about it. Because even in the Talmud, they describe him, and that's actually the main source of uh, val- val- verifying it. Is that the Talmud itself? I'm sure a lot of ancient priests are kicking themselves now for including it in there, but. But uh, there's no doubt there's someone, someone existed. All we know is that someone existed uh, that came out on behalf of the general people for the first time and um, spoke out against, the first of all, the priestly class that controlled the minds of the people. And he spoke out against uh, the ruling class, the Sadducees. Uh, there were two different groups, remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, entirely different groups. Uh, the Sadducees were the nobility, the aristocracy of uh, what, what was, had become known as Judaism. Judaism, by the way, is not uh, the same as being a Hebrew. As, uh, Jew, Judaism came out of Babylon. It did not exist before Babylon. Hebrews went in, and eventually, later on, Judaism came out. And the, the Judaism was a priestly class. Uh, who claimed that they, because they lost all the Levites, the traditional temple priests, uh, that they tried to keep the, the, the laws of Moses intact. They changed it all because they did copy a lot of uh, understandings from the Babylonian priesthood, I've no doubt about that, who were into philosophies. And then uh, in the first century or two AD, they came up with uh, the Talmud and wrote in all their philosophies from the priests that became known as laws eventually. So they were a different class. And the Pharisees themselves ruled over uh, their their followers uh, very roughly. Um, They had them so written down with laws from morning till night, just getting up in Orthodox Judaism to going to bed, what you could touch, how you could get water, how to to take the water, how to do this. 
that you couldn't get much done. So he, so, so you have that, you have a Jesus character, what his real name is, doesn't really matter. Um, but, but he did speak out against that class who uh, was also in cahoots with the, the bankers of that day. The priestly class were completely tied to international monetary changing, uh, or because the, the big temple in Jerusalem, uh, literally was a, an international money exchange as well. And observant Jews came from all over um, the ancient world where they lived in big cities. They always had their quadrant in the city. And they had to come there every year, every so often. And they could not use the regular cash to get into the temple. You needed the proper money. And they were making incredible exchanges on the deals. And that's why you always have the, the money lenders there at the same time. But you also had that too in the pagan um, temples as well. The, the, te- the temple of Diana uh, was where they actually coined the, the, the money itself, uh, and uh, so that acted the same way. This is a this was a traditional way across the ancient world. So um, stories such as uh, Jesus raising Lazarus after after three days of being dead, mm-hmm. uh, as I think you point out, uh, it kind of uh, are, are very re- reminiscent of the. Uh, of the uh, uh, secret society initiations going back to ancient mm-hmm. Egypt. Well, there's no doubt. You, you do find that the ancient, uh, uh, in Persia too, you find that too. You were sometimes entombed for up to three days or however long you could stand it before you would crack up. And you, you were raised from the death, dead. And some of my books have got uh, pictures uh, where they've uncovered some of these uh, initiation halls underneath the ground in Italy, uh, around Rome. Uh, with all the same symbols, or, uh, again, all symbology of the higher man becoming illumined step by step into the into the realm of the angels. And uh, it's quite fascinating to go into archaeology and what they really have unearthed there. Some of them are quite massive halls, but deep underground. Uh, and that's pre-Christian. So... Um, I think we I think we lose sight today of the fact that in, in Plato's time and, and probably well beyond... Uh, you know, men had to, had to disappear in effect for years, uh, uh, like Plato did going to mm-hmm. Egypt and then India, Mesopotamia yeah. and India finally before going back to Greece. Uh, you know, could it be that the lost years of Jesus were spent in, in initiation rituals? It's, it's always possible, but we'll never know. Um, but we'll never ever know because all you have really is that one book that tells you all that there really is about it. Um, there were other companion writings that were destroyed by the Vatican earlier on, uh, or later on, I should say. Uh, in fact, they decided eventually what books they would put into what we now call the New Testament. And they had different meetings, Nicaea and others, where they, they tried to standardize the teachings and what ones, which ones to include. The only Gnostic one they, they included in it was John, the writings of John. He's a Gnostic, uh, definitely Gnostic. He begins off with, he was, he, he came the, the Word. He was the Word and the Word came, you know. So that's a Gnostic teaching. Uh, where the other ones were Coptic, yeah. But we'll never know the whole story except that somebody did, did stand up. He did say that the, 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 the true thing, you couldn't meet them with force. Force would always ruin you. Uh, you have to ch- do it by changing yourselves and and, and stop obeying uh, 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 the priestly class. 
so there's no doubt about it. Someone did come out with this teaching because even during uh, the burning of Rome, and the Romans were very confused over Christianity. They classed it as a sect of Judaism. They couldn't tell the difference. And uh, uh, they uh, um, they tried to find out what, what Christianity actually was. And the, the, the danger to them was that Christianity taught that every individual was technically free in spirit and just as dear to God as a rich man or a powerful ruler. And, and even the slaves were taking this up. Uh, and believing it too. So they saw trouble coming down the road where people would eventually demand their rights, which actually they did. So Christianity in its early form was a revolutionary idea. And um, what is well de- documented too is, is the, the slaughters in the Roman uh, Colosseums the Ro- and, and, and the arenas of Christians who really believed this and took it to heart. Up until then, um, no one had ever talked about individuality for people within the masses. You didn't exist as an individual. You were a nothing. And suddenly here's a religion that gave you something to hold on to and to, to work with and that worked for you. Uh, and, it, and it's changed through the individual one by one, not, not really as a mass group. And unfortunately, if, it doesn't matter what leader comes out down through time, you'll get the same mystery religion taking it over very quickly uh, because it would always been there. They'd done it before with, with previous um, uh, famous uh, people that had come out in the past. And they always take on a virgin birth, which is, to me personally, I don't think you need a virgin birth to show that there was something different about this particular person. It's irrelevant. So they give you that. And then the Catholic Church also, over a, in a pretty short time, had to take over... Uh, from the pagans, and so they adopted pagan teachings into it, including the pagan holy days to do with solstices and that kind of thing. So they, they, kind, of, they kind of paganized themselves on the way. So yeah, my my question is, I you know I speak as someone who's been married to a Roman Catholic for 25 years. I come from a Protestant background, and uh, yeah, I, I ultimately joined her church because I, I didn't. Uh, it's the, the priest is a is an old Irish uh, Catholic. He's uh, he's a good guy, and uh, I, I just dropped my guard and said, "What the heck, they're good people." And um, but I've always wondered: did the did the early church uh, co-opt the the pagan religions around it in, in order to uh, attract more followers, or did it do it for more sinister reasons? Did it uh, did it just kind of glom on to these other religions and and carry them through time? Well, I think I think the pagan, no, she's even, she shouldn't even call it pagan. The mystery religion, let's call it that way, uh, that had been around for an awful long time, was very adept to taking over anything that, that sprung up and, again, bringing it back into the fold, in a sense. And I think always within the Catholic Church at the higher levels, you definitely had a sect of them there. And, in fact, you can have a pope there who doesn't know. The curia is more important than the pope in that respect, he decides what, what he's going to hear and understand and know and what he won't. So uh, you even have his, histories of the pharaohs too. Um, one particular pharaoh uh, one day jumped out the window to get away from his priest because he realized that all the foreign dignitaries and so on that were coming to see him were not getting to see him at all. Uh, the priests were making all the decisions, and he didn't even know what was happening in, in the empire. So uh, those around are far more important, the curia, 
uh, to, to an extent than the, maybe the guy at the top sometimes. Right. Some popes definitely have known, I've no doubt about it, by the symbols and signs that they give. Other, others um, are, are not. You know. Yeah. But, but thanks, for, thanks for calling, though. Thank you, Helen. And uh, we'll go on to Travis from South Carolina, if he's there. Are you there, Travis? Hey, Alan. Pleasure to, pleasure to speak with you. Uh, your giving of information has been key in my process of uh, waking up, and I think you're one of the few people that are in it for the right reasons, and uh, I certainly appreciate that because uh, you're waking me up as coming quite a cost, <laughs> but at a good cost. And I wanted to confirm uh, just kind of a personal testimony and story about this global government and how this so-called freedom we have is a sham. Being a business owner in uh, South Carolina, I came to find out that, of course, not too long after speaking out against uh, the tyranny in the government, that uh, my city was under what was called International Property Maintenance Code, in which uh, I was basically fined under this that's about an 80-page PDF that people can find online. Uh-huh. And uh, you actually, through one of your shows, kind of raised my attention to this, but uh, it was adopted by the city, but it's an international code. I think it's UN mandated. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was basically fined for a tear, a rip in the canopy where my sign is, and uh, was almost completely shut down over a tear in a canopy, and what's supposed to be, of course, a free republic, a free society, yeah. operating under international property maintenance code. You know, of yeah. course, we didn't get a vote on this or, or anything you like are. that. The yeah. city adopted it. Yeah. yeah. Hold on, I'll come back after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix and we'll see if... Travis is still there. They're still there, Travis. Yes, I am, Alan. Yeah. Yeah, there's a name for the organization that the UN put in every country, and I read uh, a couple of years ago about it, in fact, because a, a guy who works in one of the big cities there in the government uh, in the U.S. told me about it. He sent me a PDF on it. But they are even going around uh, rural areas, too. One guy got fined thousands of dollars for having a leaky downpipe off his roof, you know, and uh, crazy things like that. And they've been given more power all the time, and they're putting these officers uh, into every state in the U.S. and Canada under environmental protection. But it, it, they are under the auspices of the United Nations. That's who their boss basically is. So I'm not surprised you're, you're getting a hassle over some something as ridiculous as that. Yeah, Yeah, and of course, with the uh, code enforcer who came out that could approve or disapprove this, you know, I got the... Uh regular line of just doing my job and and that's what they all like to say and also i mean just on this similar topic i don't know if you saw the story right up the road from me in charlotte they find a church four thousand dollars for a tree pruning pruning tree pruning. Of this, uh, myrtle trees that's right yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah i've got that article here too I, i'll put that article up tonight as well but uh, yeah it's, it's astonishing what they're doing it's, it's control freak time you see and eventually, there's nothing you can do without the advice and permission of experts. 
that's what they talk about in the, in the expertly run society. It's training you that you're, you are a perpetual child. You can't make a competent decision for yourself. You need the experts, and here they are. And if you go against them, they're going to find the bejesus out of you, which they do. And that, that's going to teach us, because we're just little children, you see. We're just silly little rebellious children who can't make decisions for ourselves. And this is the world that they're bringing in because we let them bring it in. Yeah, certainly. And if I could ask you one question I was interested in, I hear, I've heard you talk a lot about tribal cultures and, of, of course, you know, governments and how government's an idea. And, and I wanted to ask you, I mean, what would be your stance on, I mean, what would you think, I mean, just no government would, I know you wouldn't probably label yourself as anything, an anarchist or anything like that or libertarian, but would you say maybe like the first 100 years of the country is more where, like a system that had the most freedom or just more of a tribal, you know, Indian-type society with, with no government. I mean, I was just wanting your take on that. Well, there's no doubt about it. The ones that are still tribal today, there are tribal societies who still live, and they're pretty well independent for everything that they need. Um, they have all to be crushed eventually, of course. But uh, um, it's true enough, uh, after the American uh, War, of independence, you didn't have the bureaucrats, the organization, the government, the taxation to pay for it all either, to go out into the woods and, and start taxing every little hut that was put there. Um, it's, it's when so-called, it's when this, this odd thing they call civilization comes in. This is what they call civilization. We're civilized now. In come the lawyers. Uh, in, they get into the government. So they expand. They want committees and, and, and associations to deal with everything. Taxes must be brought in eventually to pay for it all because they've always got great, wonderful ideas on on how things should be run and how their pockets should be filled. And uh, it's, it's under law. This thing called law just goes rampant like a cancer until we are here today. You can't prune a particular tree because you'll get fined for it. You can't have a leaky downspout from your roof uh, or a torn canopy or anything like that. Uh, this is the craziness that we allow to happen. Because we are not under any kind of uh, representational government. We're not under any kind of democratic input. And we never really were since this thing called civilization took over. But thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.